All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on a Thursday. Oh my goodness. I, I, I cannot even begin to describe how frustrated I am with this team. I thought for sure tonight would be the first of these. I, I, I sent out a video earlier today talking about, you know, these little championship checkpoints, these markers, these tendencies, these games, these moments that always are like the, the, the bellwethers or the indicators of a team that has championship aspirations. And we saw so many of those with the 2020 Lakers, right? Like they would very rarely lose two games in a row. They would very, uh, the, they would win all the games they were supposed to win. You know, there would be these, you know, the, they took specific matchups personally. There were, there were the day-to-day effort stuff was above and beyond what you saw elsewhere in the league. They're, all of those checkpoints were met and were checked off by that team. And with this team, they've missed every single one of those checkpoints. And I thought tonight, was a great opportunity for them to finally hit one of those checkpoints to get that boat rolling in the right direction. And what's funny is Memphis, we all knew coming into tonight that Memphis was a good team. You know, we knew, we knew that even without John Morant, they defended extremely high level that we knew that they were young, that they were athletic, that they played big. We knew, we know at home they're tough to beat. We knew this was going to be a tough game. This is the kind of game that the championship teams go up into Memphis and they win. And once again, they just couldn't get it done. We're going to get into the details here in a second. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with us. Raj, how are you doing so far? How's your week going so far? It's going all right. You know, it, it felt really positive after the Boston win. And again, we said those, those words that, you know, this could, be the, this could be the game that turns the season around. And there was a lot of positive energy around the team. We had a super positive podcast after it. Most of the Laker podcast I listened to was was pretty positive and you can kind of throw a lot of that out right I mean uh, there's still some good stuff you can take from it but it's just this one just feels awful the body language was awful I'll just take people behind the curtains a little bit so so after you know before every before we start these spaces every time me and Jason uh text back and forth and and uh he said he's gonna keep this one a little bit shorter and I said that's fine and you said I hate this team and I feel like that's kind of that's kind of the energy I see from the timeline as well, right? This it's becoming a real hate relationship with this team. You know how you say love hate? It's becoming a real hate relationship with this team. And we can go into X's and O's, and we can go into you know all the spacing that's awful. Even though Avery Bradley actually played well, the Frank teasing me with the Wayne Ellington lineup, like, uh, but the, the body language I thought was just awful from tonight. So that was my main thing. I, I hated the energy that we came out with. Other than LeBron, we were super careless with the bat. Like, just so many things where we beat ourselves. And Memphis just punked us. Steven Adams punked us. Like, uh, Desmond Bain punked. Like, everyone on the rebound. Like, it was just an awful game to watch. I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. Scoring 95 points with your whole team healthy besides Trevor Reza and, and Kendrick Nunn is inexcusable to me. Like, that's just – that can't happen. So, I don't know. Where do you want to take this, Jason? Because I, I don't know where, where to really go from here. It's just, it's just an awful game. Leaves an awful taste in your mouth. Very little positive to take from it. So the the first thing that stood out to me was, you know, when you go on the road and you're playing against a young basketball team, you can, especially at home, you can expect that uh, uh, that you're there's only so much effort you can bring to the game to meet and win the effort battle, right? Because the the young team playing at home in front of their home crowd is obviously going to bring a boatload of effort, and sure. with how with how big they are they're obviously going to win a lot of physical altercations because they're the young, big, strong team playing super hard at home. 
So how do you win that type of game? You have to be the smart basketball team. You have to be your advantage going into that game is the veteran talent that you have on the team, the knowledge of how to win different types of basketball games and how to grind these kinds of games out. You can't go into a game like tonight and be the dumb team. You can't be the team that goes on the road when your advantage is your basketball IQ and not take care of the basketball. You can't go on the road and, and in this type of matchup and miss box outs. The, all of the, the IQ stuff, all of those little details, that's where you have to be sharp in games like tonight because you're not going to be able to match their effort. I, I, like we, We're going to dig into all the little details, and I, I, it, it blows my mind that Anthony Davis cannot – win a rebounding altercation with Steven Adams. And we're going to get into Anthony Davis because this was one of the most frustrating games that I've seen with him. But yeah. just foundationally from the top down, because LeBron was awesome tonight. But he was. Even, mm-hmm. even with as great as LeBron was, he didn't take care of the ball well enough. And the point being, you can't go on the road against a young team that's going to play their ass off and be the dumb team. You have to be the smart team. And I mean, we're going to get further into it, but that was the, the big thing that stood out to me over the course of this game was just not taking care of the basketball and making dumb guy mistakes, which you, which you just can't make on the road against a young team. Yeah. It felt like a lot of effort mistakes and the turnovers were awful. It felt like we sleepwalked through a lot of this, a lot of just dumb passes, um, a lot of cross court passes that had no chance, a lot of pocket passes that made no sense and give the Grizzlies credit. Like they lead the league in steals at 10 a game. They had 13 at halftime. A lot of that really felt like we just gave them the basketball. A lot of just passes we gave it, Gave it to them, and they got on and ran. And they ran it down our throats. Uh, they had a bunch of transition points as well. It just I just hated the body language, though, from tonight. It, it felt like we beat Boston, and then we came in. We were up 27 to 19 or something. We had like a 9 or 8-point lead. A couple of missed free throws from AD. A couple of missed free throws from Russ. All of a sudden, it's like a 4-point game. Desmond Bain, I thought, cooked us for a lot of the night. A lot of defensive possessions where we were off. It was just a game where we didn't have focus and the lineups kind of add into that as well. And that's what I want to ask you about to start with this because the starting lineup still isn't great. I still don't understand it. I still don't understand Avery Bradley being, you know, thrown into this. The spacing is still awful. And the body language, I think, goes into that as well. AD just did not look engaged in this game at all. Like, I think he's the story of tonight. Even with the turnovers being awful, even with the, you know, the dumb plays, uh, like you said, we were the dumb team tonight. I thought AD was the story. Like, you could just tell the body language difference. He didn't look like he wanted to play tonight, and that's stuff that I don't really like to get into because I can't really measure that kind of stuff. It just He just did not look right to me, and I thought that was kind of the story. Jaron Jackson Jr. got whatever he wanted. Uh, I thought Jaron Jackson Jr. was great. Stu kept pointing out how he was gonna he was gonna shoot every time he touches it, and he did. He took 18 shots. It felt, and uh, he he hit nine of them. But he was he was awesome, and he outworked us. But what did you see from that? Because I thought our body language was awful. Other than LeBron and Russ try to pick it up as well, um, I just thought AD looked. You know, he just did not look into this game for whatever reason it was. And I thought that was the story to me, even with the turnovers, even with the the dumb plays. Like that that was to me the story from tonight. I think Anthony Davis is struggling a little bit with his confidence. You could tell that he just doesn't trust certain areas of his game, which is what causes him to go through these extended stretches where he's not overly aggressive. The part that's frustrating about that is like, if you are a basketball player that has physical tools, so if you happen to be very athletic, if you happen to be tall, if you have length, if you have strength, whatever it is, if you've got physical tools and you're a basketball player and you're struggling in some of the areas of offense, you can 
devote all your energy towards the effort and energy areas of the game and build your confidence through that. Okay. Like, so you're having a hard time getting touches within the offense. Okay. Your jump shots not falling. Okay. You're having a hard time reading the floor and post-ups. I get all of that, but find a way to get your confidence. And one of the easiest ways to do that is instead of do what Steven Adams is doing, devote all your energy to crashing the offensive glass and just physically imposing your will on the other team. Put all of that effort and energy into defense, into shutting everything down around the rim and just flying around and being super disruptive. From there, you'll make plays and you'll be able to build your confidence. But for whatever reason, and this has been something that's been a problem with Anthony Davis since the start, he's just not much of a self-starter. He doesn't, you know, he almost needs to get swept up in the energy of the rest of the team. So in a game like tonight, when pretty much everybody not named LeBron James had a bad, had a bad game, when that kind of thing happens, there's just no energy surrounding the team and there's nothing for him to get swept up in. Like even if, I mean, Russ had, I'm not going to get hard on, be super hard on Russ because Russ has had just a, a phenomenal stretch of basketball for basically a month leading into this. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to go after Russ too much tonight, but him having a bad game too. I think that partially kind of feeds into the bad Anthony Davis thing. Like he's just, he is, the, the biggest reason why he's always going to be a number two, and this is something that I talked about in a pod last week, you know, like Laker fans need to adjust their expectations of what Anthony Davis is going to be like after LeBron is gone. Because he just fundamentally, as, as his basketball character, is that of a number two. He is a follower, not a leader. He gets wrapped up in what's happening around him. He's not a self-starter. Now, if you surround him with the right group of guys, he is such a peak alpha talent that he's going to impact the game so much that he's going to look like the best player in the world some nights, but he's just not a self-starter. And so it, it blows my mind because that, again, it, with, with his physical tools, even if you're, even if you're incredibly frustrated with everything else going on the floor, you should be able to impose your will just by playing hard. Like no matter how those are out of, those are, those are not uh, result based sequences. It's not like you can do a, you know, like have a really nice move and get to your shot and get really good lift and, and, and the, the result is out of your control because it happens to miss or it happens to go in. No, if you play hard, you can have a guaranteed result. Whatever it is that you're trying to do over the course of the game, if you're crashing the glass like crazy, flying around on defense, I can guarantee that will impact the game every single night. And, and, and for whatever reason, that fire just isn't there. And, and it, it's frustrating. And again, like, like I, I, we've been on this roller coaster with AD for the last couple of years, but you, you told us in a press conference that you wanted to win 10 games in a row. I won't even say you said you wanted that. You nonchalantly said that we're going to, all we have to do is win 10 games in a row and then everything will be fine. And you're neglecting the fact that in order for this team to win 10 games in a row, both you and LeBron James have to play like top five players in the league. And right now, Anthony Davis is playing more like the 15th best player in the league, if we're being nice. So the, he just has so far to go to get to where he needs to be for this team to take off. And, and I hope at some point, either himself or somebody close to him wakes him the hell up. Because th th this is the kind of game on the road in Memphis where they needed a big night out of Anthony Davis. That he could not be physically bullied by Steven Adams tonight. And that's what, what ended up happening. Yeah, and to be fair to AD, like the lineups still aren't conductive to him, right? They they're not great. There's still no spacing and stuff. There's just mentality stuff that I would I would like him to change. And you could tell he's a guy that's just trying to fit around, right? He picks his spots, kind of like Russ picks his spots, right? Russ picks his spots. He likes to 
Sometimes he attacks in the third or he'll attack late, uh, early in the fourth. AD needs to be a consistent kind of score for us, at least for tonight. And there were plays that I wrote down in my notes here. Like, he would have Steven Adams at the top, and Steven Adams would, like, give him, like, five feet of space or something. Like, he should be able to score on Steven Adams, at least in isolation, right? Like, that that's, to me, he should be able to score on him in those kind of actions. And, again, the spacing isn't great for him. He's still leading the league in points in the paid, and all that's true. And I think some of the stuff is a little unfair on him. Like, I think Charles Barkley blaming all the Lakers' problems on him, like, probably isn't fair. Like, there's a lot of issues with this team. Blaming on one person I don't think is the right way to go. But I thought just tonight his body language just did not look great. And I don't like to blame stuff on that. That's stuff that we can't really define. I just thought like his aggression level just wasn't there. He tried to pick his spots, and this just wasn't a game for that. Memphis is missing like four starters, right? They're a good team. No Dylan Brooks tonight. No John Moran, obviously, but uh, no Brandon Clark as well. Like this is a game you should be able to take. And after that Boston game, I thought I would see a sense of urgency that I just didn't see from him tonight. I saw it from LeBron. I thought Stu made the the best point here. LeBron had bounce to him. And I thought that was like the best description of it. I thought LeBron had a lot of bounce. But other than him, I thought Rush tried to get going. But I thought AD just needed to be better. He didn't, just was not aggressive enough. Didn't pick his spots. Wasn't aggressive early. A lot of settling for jumpers. And I thought that was mostly the game tonight. And I don't know where this changes. It looks like Vogel's going to be pretty uh hard held on avery bradley uh avery bradley played i'm not sure the minutes tonight but it felt like he played a ton he had a good game as well uh tht i thought was tht had some good cutting moments and stuff like that but the spacing still isn't great i don't know where they go from here though like i the boston game felt like an up but it feels like we're just going to go on this up and down roller coaster maybe until trevor reza gets back i just don't find that the solution to the questions of this team like trevor reza helps 100 percent, he helps does he help beat you know, is he help not get blown out to a Memphis team missing four starters? I don't know. Like, that's a tough question for me to answer. Yeah, well, it, it, with Ariza, again, it doesn't matter unless the basketball character of the team changes. But, you know, I'm glad you brought up the, the Anthony Davis thing because, like, I, I, I'm really thankful that Vinay took the time to really go after that today in his spaces mm-hmm. um, because, like, to me, the, the, the Charles Barkley thing was just, like nonsensical meandering and character assassination. Like it oh, yeah, didn't really, sure. it, it, it wasn't really any legitimate basketball analysis. Like what, where I'm coming at with Anthony Davis and the, and the thing that is frustrating to me is like, you know, like Malik Monk had a rough night tonight, you know, like he yeah. was really, he was really sloppy with the basketball. He lost the handle multiple times in transition, just gifted, gave away possessions. But here's the thing. Malik Monk is a young player. He's a role player. He's a minimum contract. And he's not one of the foundational pieces on the team. His his role changes from a night-to-night basis. Inconsistency is part of the deal with that. I'm supposed to under like expect Malik Monk to have an off night. Russell Westbrook, he's in a tier of star that's below LeBron and AD. So I should expect that he can have an off night here or there. You, as Anthony Davis, as the foundational star of the team, as the guy that everyone in, in the Laker fan base views as the pillar that this team will be built on for the next at least half decade, you can't be the inconsistent guy. You have to be the consistent guy. And again, it's, it's like with LeBron. One of the things you'll learn with LeBron over the course of his career it, like when you're watching him is like he'll have inconsistent parts of his game, right? Like his jumper can be hot and cold depending on the night. He, he has nights where he's turns the ball over too much. Uh, you know, he, he has a tendency early in playoff series is when he's really feeling out the situation to have a rough game here or there. But 
on a night to night basis, you could depend on LeBron to at least be enough of himself in all of the other areas of his game that, that he can impact winning, even when he has a bad game. I've done, I did a pot a while back, like LeBron and Steph are the two players in the league that their bad games still involve them usually being the best player on the floor. Uh, Steph with his gravity and LeBron with all of the things he does on the, on the floor to, to impact winning. AD has the tools to do that. He has to do that. Anthony Davis has to, has to find a way to find some consistency within himself. And to me, the easiest way is leaving his physical imprint on the game. Now, here's what's frustrating about that. We've talked a lot about how Anthony Davis doesn't look the same in terms of his mobility. He looks slower. He doesn't have that same pop. And we also talked about how he looks huge, right? Like he's just completely jacked up top. If he's, what was the point of doing that if not to be able to keep Steven Adams off the glass? You know, I saw somebody tweet today during the game, and I, this is massively exaggerated. I disagree with it, but there's a kernel of truth. I can't remember who it was, but they said Anthony Davis actually can't play center. And obviously I disagree. I think Anthony Davis is arguably the best small ball center you could play outside of maybe Giannis. But the, the point is, is like a center has dirty work responsibilities that Anthony Davis is definitely capable of, but for whatever reason, he struggles with them. I mean, I, I literally watched Isaiah Stewart pin Anthony Davis under the basket for offensive rebounds like a half dozen times in those two matchups. Like, I, I, like it's, I, if for whatever reason, in those altercations, even though he has all of the tools to be the guy who wins that altercation, he doesn't win the altercation. Meanwhile, you look at LeBron, and it's like he's fighting guys bigger than him all the time because he, he like revels in those engagements. He loves the idea of winning that type of engagement snatching the ball out of the air and just like, like it's like a momentum rebound and just looks around everybody like get the hell off of me you know like that the, we need to see more of that from anthony davis that that sort of like physical aggression if that makes sense yeah and again i don't want to blame this all on ad because i think he's had a better season than it, it's felt like and he has a lot of you know defensive responsibilities on that end like he has to cover for a lot especially when he's the center as well right and i thought him and lebron looked good in that first quarter like at least defensively I think they went up like 14-8 or something they looked active and all that but again it just feels like he's he goes through the motions a lot offensively and again I don't know if that's just a product of the spacing as well like I think that could be it like he just doesn't like where he's getting the ball and there's a lot of post-up actions and it's a lot of stuff that just wastes a lot of time it's just like a cross screen to get 80 the ball four feet away from the free throw line. And it's just like, what was the point of that? And at least to him taking step back jumpers, but it's just an aggression that I'd like to see from him every night. Like he doesn't need to be the one that has to pick his spots, right? Like if it's LeBron, AD and Russ on the floor, like he can, he can attack every single night, especially if they throw like Steven Adams on him. He has a quickness advantage to it. That I just like to see him go at it. And tonight I just thought the body language uh, was really bad. And again, he's not the only one at fault tonight. I thought Malik Monk really struggled. Russell Westbrook, a bun- bunch of turnovers. LeBron brought it in that first quarter, but those he had a lot of turnovers as well. It's not just 80s fault, but I just thought like his body language really showed. Jaron Jackson Jr., again, I thought just dominated this game. Went right to the rim. We had nothing for him. And it, it feels like every time we go up and we get punched, it's like there's no coming back from it. Like I don't know about you, but I thought this game was kind of over uh, when we're going into the fourth. Like we were down, I think seven or eight going into the fourth, and I thought that was kind of it. Like I did not see them coming back and winning this one, and that's that's been kind of the theme of this season. And you could tell Vogel's trying to experiment. He went with Dwight Howard to start the start the second half, which helped, 
Like, I thought two bigs actually make sense for tonight, right? The the Grizzlies start this uh, two big lineup with Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams. Like, tonight's a night where two bigs would actually make sense. It's just a lot of experimenting going around, going on. I hated Wayne Ellington got some minutes, but he would play next to, like, THG and Avery Bradley. So he's the only shooter. So Memphis throws two at him. So you see Wayne Ellington a lot tonight, like, would jump to shoot but like there's two guys on him so he has to jump he has to like shoot and jump pass you saw that like three times tonight there's a lot of lineups that don't make sense this team is in a really weird funk here really weird moment i thought the boston game we got a lot of positives and tonight we just kind of threw that away because there was super careless in the first half and memphis came and, and took the game away but i don't know where we go from here they play i think orlando to, they play orlando tomorrow okc okc, OKC tomorrow so I mean, that's, again, a winnable game, but you just don't know with this team. They've lost all the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but, yeah, like, I don't I don't really know where they go. We went back to the two bigs to start the second half, and Vogel well, could just let's, go. Let's, let's stay there because you yeah. – because I, I thought that was the microcosm of, of everything that was wrong with the situation because mm-hmm. our starters looked fantastic. Like, yeah. We literally were defending and getting out in transition and scoring. And you say, okay, Memphis plays big. Well, okay, what what happens to the Lakers when they play big usually? The other team inevitably just packs the paint, waits for you to miss jump shots, and tries to get in a foot race with you because they know that you're slow. Uh, you're playing too many big guys. Anthony Davis, even at as a power forward, is not super quick, especially when there's a wing across from him. And teams would just race us up and down the floor and get easy shots. And so why are we trying to do that to Memphis? That's literally what we did in the first quarter, and it was working. And yes, did we get killed on the glass over the course of the rest of the half? Yes, but that's not an adjustment you make with the starters. That's an adjustment you make with your other lineups. That was the part that was confusing to me. In the first half, our starting lineup was our best group. Now we can you know, go back and forth about Avery Bradley. To me, that's so, so, so far down on the list of problems. But like... It, it, the, the starting lineup was not the issue. So when I saw that, when I saw uh, Frank make that adjustment, I immediately thought to myself, like, Anthony Davis and Frank just can't help themselves. Like, I guarantee you somewhere in the halftime huddle uh, or in the halftime locker room meeting, either Frank brought it up or Anthony Davis brought it up. But they're like, we, we need to go, we need to go big because we're going to hurt on the glass. And it's and it's like, I, I bet you there's just this big breadth of you know, fresh air for Anthony Davis to be like, oh, all right, Dwight's going to box out Steven. I don't have to. And it's like, man, that's your advantage. They're playing big. They're playing big because they lost another wing to COVID today with Dylan Brooks. Like you, you have, if they're going to play big, we have to be the fast team then. You know what I mean? And it just was, I, I hated that, that ideological shift there. Cause like, again, like playing Dwight Howard alongside Russell Westbrook is a disaster offensively. Now, yes, the Lakers, uh, uh, went down and got a couple of baskets to start the third quarter. But immediately after they took that two point lead, or I think they were up 72 68 immediately after that, we started losing shooters in transition while guys were jogging back. That was the inevitable outcome. Memphis was going to be able to push the pace on us. And, you know, and, and one of the problems too, with Anthony Davis, uh, when he goes to the four, is we have actions where he's rolling to the rim or he'll cl- crash the offensive glass. So usually when the shot is missed, both Dwight and AD are under the rim. And the other eight guys are sprinting the other way. It's like starting behind the eight ball. I just, I, I just didn't like that ideologically. But again, like going down the roster, like 
and, and this is where it's one of those things where if you looked at this game in a vacuum and the Lakers were playing awesome all season, you might look at this and you might say, hey, this is a tough road game. Young team. Melo had a bad night. Malik Monk had a bad night. Maybe we just, you, you know, LeBron was awesome, but AD had a rough night. Russ had a rough night. Let's just throw it out. It's because of the larger picture that this is so upsetting. When you're, like, for instance, Golden State lost at home to San Antonio the other day. That You can totally forgive one of those every once in a while when the character of the team has shown over the course of the season that that doesn't happen often. But they knew coming into this game that it was going to be tough. They knew coming into this game that they really had to win it in order to change the perception around the team. And they knew coming into this game that they were going to have to bring a certain amount of effort, a certain amount of execution. Like I got in a conversation with Krangis about this the other day because we were talking about, you know, there's there's like a there's like a, a spectrum of Laker fans blaming effort. And there's people on the, the left who are like everything's effort related, which I disagree with. And then there's people like Krangis who respectfully I disagree with. He's kind of like everything's process, everything's scheme, everything's blah, blah, blah. Efforts playing little to no role here. I'm kind of in the middle. Like I absolutely see those issues, but effort is absolutely part of the issue here. And I can't, I can't continue to gloss over that. You're again, you're not going to be able to match Memphis's effort, but you're more talented than Memphis. You have the two best players on the floor, arguably the three best players on the floor. Actually, screw that. They had the three best players on the floor. No matter how you feel about Russell Westbrook, he's better than everybody on Memphis. And so if you you just had to bring a certain amount of effort, and that effort also involves focus. Taking care of the basketball, to me, is an effort thing because it requires you to be 100% alert and paying attention to what's happening around you and making sound decisions and being careful. That is an effort thing as well. To me, when the effort pulls back, the focus pulls back. When the focus pulls back, that's when mental errors start taking place. When the mental errors start taking place, that's when you start letting this young team get out on the run. And it was only a matter of time from there. It was like hemorrhaging possessions. But yeah, like, I, I don't know how you can gloss over the fact that, you know, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I mean, I, I can't I can't imagine how anybody could watch this team and not see the serious basketball character issue that they're not willing to do the work that you have to do to win these kinds of games. Yeah, it definitely felt like they came in tonight and thought this would be an easy one, especially when they went up nine. I just saw the total engagement drop off from everyone. And I think that's a team wide issue. But I guess we can kind of go more into the details here, because I think there is process stuff that's going wrong. And I and again, like you said, is it, you know, is it effort? Is it X's and O's and schemes? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think Vinay talked about it in his face earlier, which he did a great job kind of explaining how there's a human element to all of this, right? Like you can't mix bad scheme with – you can mix the best scheme, and if you have no effort, then it's not going to work. And you can you can have the best scheme and with no effort. It's not going to work, right? You need both to kind of intertwine here. And there's still stuff that is just really confusing me, really confusing to me. Like every this whole night we were doing like offensive-defense subs, which which really made no sense to me. The THT, Avery Badley coming in and out. Uh, I thought that really messed with our team. I thought the spacing, again, was awful. The two two big lineups, like you talked about, they did a great job early. I thought it messed with Memphis. I thought it was a nice switch up, a nice like curveball to throw at them. And then once they went a little bit small, I think they went with Jaron Jackson at the five. And that just that just run us out of the gym. We were, again, down like six or seven. Uh, we're doing an awful job going around screens. 
but again, like tonight, I don't even know where to <laughs> where to go with this. Like I, I think it's effort and scheme combined, and I don't know. I think Vogel has to choose one, right? Like there has to be a lineup that he has to he has to go with the lineup that makes sense. And I feel like the spacing in the starting lineup messes with the whole game. Russ plays in a phone booth. Uh, Russ plays in a phone booth to start, and that just coincides with the whole game. And I feel like he he didn't get going till late. LeBron LeBron was going early, but. Man, I'm I'm getting lost in my words here. I don't even I don't even know where to go with this. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's picking it, an identity like that. That's the thing. Yeah. Like someone someone tweeted out. Uh, I think it was I think it was Michael Taylor, if I remember correctly. But someone tweeted out uh, after that first run. Man, this mm-hmm. looks like the this looks like the 2020 Lakers. Mm-hmm. And and you know a certain amount of that you can expect to see when you play a lineup that literally has four guys that were on the 2020 Lakers. And, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook, you know, like if it's if it's Dwight, A.D., LeBron and and and, and Avery Bradley, that's a bunch of former Lakers, you know, so mm-hmm. like that, that that's to be expected. But the problem is, is we don't really have the personnel to play that style for 48 minutes. We just don't. Uh, we have this is kind of to that versatility conversation we were having earlier in the summer. It's like we have groups that can play like the 2020 Lakers. But the vast majority of our groups are going to play like a kind of like a hybrid version of that mixed with like the Los Angeles Clippers, a really slow team. Or excuse me, a really small team that spaces the floor and thrives on dribble penetration, which is something that, that, that I've been harping on all season long. And so it's it, that that's kind of where fundamentally, like you were talking about, like Russ never got his rhythm. Well, does that is that related to the fact that Frank is kind of prioritizing kind of a structure that resembles the 2020 Lakers? Probably to some extent, although Russ has found enough openings, you know, he I just kept waiting for him to eventually kind of break through tonight because that's kind of the way it's been with him all season. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen tonight. I can't dive too much into the to the to the Russ part of it, because like I said, it's super lame. I think I think you're going to probably see some national media and some people who don't know any better really, really go after Russ in the next 24 hours. And that's really unfortunate because he doesn't deserve that at all. He's been amazing uh, as of late. Um, uh, but again, like it, it's, it's very possible that th- these things are all tied to each other. You know, like for us, this last stretch of games has been really good in third quarter. So for you to randomly go big in the third quarter, it, it's very possible that that is partially responsible for disrupting things. But it, it felt like there were several stretches tonight where the Lakers tried to get kickstarted where they get a couple stops and they get out in mm-hmm. transition and try to get something going, but then they would turn the ball over. Like they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. And, you know, you talked about the, uh, the, the body language. I thought that in the middle of this third quarter, the belief left the Lakers, the, yeah. uh, the idea that they thought they could win exited the building. And from there, it was kind of like just going through the motions and, and, and that, and that, it's really unfortunate, but Again, like what's frustrating is like, how many times can this happen to you? How many times can you get punked before something wakes up inside of you? And and I really, I really don't know, don't know what, what, like what it's going to take at this point, because we know it's in there. We literally saw them do it against Boston the other night. I mean, we've had, what's so bizarre about this most recent stretch is it's like, unbelievable performance on the road in Sacramento beating the shit out of the Kings without LeBron awesome like like momentous win coming right back home to to drop one to the Clippers 
uh, in a game that was extremely frustrating on a bunch of different levels. And the Lakers played huge starting lineups again, and it was super confusing. And then you come back on Sunday and you are on a Tuesday and you manhandle the Celtics and you look fantastic. And then you, you, you come back tonight. So I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, the good games have been coming more frequently, I guess, but they still can't string anything together. And to me, that's a basketball character thing. And I don't know, I don't know how you fix that Raj. Like I, I'd like, you know, foundationally this team requires LeBron and AD to both be top five players. Now we're coming off of two straight games where LeBron's at least in that conversation, right? Where on both mm-hmm. ends of the floor, he's looking like himself, but for whatever reason, AD's lagging behind. And I don't know. I don't know what it takes. Like remember, do you remember at the beginning of the season when I said he has never played 14 games in a row since, uh, since before the bubble? Well, yeah. he's been, he's played all but one game this season, man. Like, like how much more time does he need to build his rhythm? How much more time does he need to get in shape? How much more time does he need to build up to where he was? I mean, I, I think we're reaching a point now where we can no longer make excuses for him. They've played small for the vast majority of the time with him as of late too. So, I mean, I, like to your point, I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. I don't know where, I don't know, like what else can you throw at AD right now to try to get him going? Like, is this, is, is it as simple as LeBron has to, privately like confront him like like, honestly what do you do like he's had the minutes he's had the reps he's had the rhythm he's had the lineups and it's just not materializing in my opinion yeah and well for first of all like that stat you point out where he only missed one game that's the most important stat for ad right like if ad's out this team has no chance anyway like you can you can qualm about how ad's played and you know him and even I have said he needs to be more aggressive but if AD's you know not playing then this team is going nowhere but can I just vent about Wayne Ellington really quick because I know we're going to close this in about in a couple minutes here course, um but ahead. yeah my my issue with this and, and again Vinay hit about this in his face as well like I feel like he's the perfect guy to kind of fit in that starting lineup to me like he's a veteran he knows his job and I posted that clip or him and LeBron had that ghost screen right where like that's just something that plays into what LeBron does and also it fits with Russ as well. And I just looking at Wayne Ellington stats um, here for the last few games against Boston, 20 minutes, six uh, tonight, 20 minutes, six shots, uh, Boston, 14 minutes, four shots. Like to me, that's not enough. And I feel like he has more gravity than we're using with him. And again, I don't Wayne Ellington isn't a championship life-saving player. I just think like the issue with him not playing kind of fits a larger issue with this team with an identity issue that they have with a offense issue that they have. Like there's a lot of times, Wayne, Wayne Ellington to me is a gunner, right? Like he's a guy where if you get him enough, if you get him the ball enough, he's going to fire. And we use him as like an 1870s arrow. You know what I mean? Like we, <laughs> we use him as like an old fashioned arrow where we just throw him in the corner and we're like, you just stand there and wait till the help comes. And then we throw him the ball and he gets into a set shot. But Wayne Ellington is a shooter, like an, a legit shooter. To me, he's one of the best. Would you agree he's one of the best shooters in the league? Just pure shooters. He can't defend, obviously, and that's why he's on a minimum contract. Go look at the prices of shooters around the league. Go look at what Duncan Robinson just got uh, from with the Miami Heat. Again, Duncan Robinson's a taller player, probably a better defender, yada, yada, yada. Go look at what real shooters cost in this league. We have a guy on the minimum deal, and to me, his defense is never going to be great, but he plays enough. He plays hard enough to me. He's in the right spots enough to me. Like, we just don't – we don't use the weapons that we have – 
into what they are. We turned them into these 1870 arrows. Malik Monk, to me, shows a lot more than we, we give him credit for. I think he's a better ball handler, a better scorer than we need to. Like, those guys need to play. And again, tonight, I thought what summarized the game to me, Wayne Ellington came in, and I was all excited. Even though we were down 13 with five minutes left, we had a we had him with the big three, and I thought they haven't played any minutes tonight. I was corrected. They played nine minutes for the season. I was wrong. Oh, Wayne God, Ellington and the misleading our audience. Yeah, I was so wrong. They played nine total <laughs> minutes, not nineteen total possessions. Uh, I was wrong. Tonight they played ten seconds together. Like that, that, that can't happen. Your best shooter should be playing next to your big three, who are all guys who are non-shooters. Like I just don't understand why he can't. Why we don't at least try this? And again, Avery Bradley came in for defensive issue for uh, for defense for offense. We got killed. The, the Memphis, I think Memphis scored like four straight times. And again, it's not Avery Bradley's fault. I'm not blaming him. Avery Bradley had a good game tonight. It's just the process isn't right. Avery Bradley hitting four threes. The other defense doesn't care. Like they're going to continue to leave him open. And I just think that stuff that we can, that those are fixes that we can do, right? We can't change the roster. We're not trading Russ. Stop, please stop. Please stop mentioning that to me. Trade Russ or, you know, again, the coach can be fired. I just, I think that's a, I think that's a bandaid on a larger issue, honestly. Uh, but but still, like I think those are those are things that are fixable. And the way Ellington kind of is the face of a lot of the kind of internal issues that I see with the team, where we're not picking an identity. We're trying to do both. And Wayne Ellington playing with Tht and Avery Bradley, like you're like I don't know how to I don't even know an analogy for it, but it just doesn't make sense to me. So you have Wayne Ellington out there with LeBron. I believe it was LeBron. Uh, maybe it was AD, uh, Avery Bradley, and THT. So Wayne Ellen's the only shooter. They sent two at him, and you see him do these jump passes, and that's not his game, man. We need to open the stuff up for him. Again, Wellington's a minimum player. He's not going to change the world. It's just, he, to me, he represents a bigger issue um, that I'm seeing with the team. Well, and again, it's about leaning into strengths, um, mm-hmm. like, like we talked about. Like uh, The minute you went the route of playing Russell Westbrook, you compromised your spacing to a certain extent that made it so that you're past a breaking point with trying to play Vogel ball. So mm. for, for instance, in the uh, 2021 playoffs, you literally saw a team that wasn't playing Russell Westbrook playing guys who were actually okay shooters like KCP and like Kyle Kuzma and, and mm-hmm. even out, even Alex Caruso had a good three point shooting season last year, but you saw that tilt so far to where Dennis Schroeder and LeBron had no ability to get to the basket. And uh, I did like it. Everyone was talking about how LeBron looked so bad in that series. It's one of the few times where, you know, I just, I, I couldn't blame him. Like I, he'd get a, a, a touch on the wing and there would just be three bodies standing right in front of him. There was no opportunity to drive. When you decided to, to, to take on Russell Westbrook, you went even further in that, in that direction, favoring, your physical presence over the spacing of the team. So you went out and you found these shooters. That's great. You have to play at least one of them at all times and preferably two. And that's where, that's where with the starting lineup, you the, just from an identity standpoint, playing Avery Bradley or THT or both of them, instead of at least one of those shooters doesn't make any sense because you're just, you're, you're keeping, I always talk about having one foot in the moment, one foot in the future when teams are building and how stupid I think that is. It's the same concept with the identity. Like Frank has one foot stuck in 2020 and then he's got this other foot in 2022 where it's like, like remember when, or remember when he like started just doing that LeBron at the center lineup, which was like, okay, it was fun. It was gimmicky. You could do that. 
to mm. mix things up or as a specific matchup tool against a, a team that doesn't have any size when you're going super small or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. But the idea that that would become your consistent rotation, like every beginning of every second and fourth quarter, when you literally have Dwight Howard on the bench, like that just made absolutely no sense. It was like, it was like half of Frank is like super like cool and forward thinking and progressive basketball, Frank. And then the other half of Frank is like retro 1980s. We're packing the paint, Frank. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just doesn't make any sense having those two separate identities, you, you know, picks one thing that you're really, really good at and lean into it. You're going to have enough curveballs just by virtue of how good your star players are, you know, play your shooters, lean heavily into driving kick basketball, which is something that LeBron and Russ have been the best at their entire careers. Anthony Davis is always going to be able to find a way to fit in with that because of what he brings to the table with the skill set. lean into that, your inevitably your defense will be good enough. Like tonight, the Lakers couldn't score. And like we always say, a point per possession defense in the half court is way more effective than they are in transition. And so it's it has to be factored in when you're choosing lineups, when you're, it's like you're, the concept you're talking about offense, defense, the reason why you do offense defense subs in crunch time is because you're expecting a stoppage after every play. The reason why you like, like in, in a game, when you choose to prioritize defensive personnel, you have to expect a great deal of missed shots that will lead to your defense being stuck in the backcourt or, or not being fully set as the other team attacks you in the other direction. By playing really good offense and scoring the basketball, you get to set up your defense. This was what made Brooklyn so genius. Brooklyn last season... They ran incredible offense. They scored on you almost every time. And then they got back on defense. They set up and they switched everything and just waited for you to try to ISO one of their lesser defenders while you have all these help defenders waiting. It was genius. It was genius because it understood modern basketball. Like that, that's what's killing me with Frank right now. Just it, like I thought in the, the start of the second quarter, start of the second half, we got killed in transition. Uh, mainly for threes. I think they got one layup, but they mainly for threes guys just jogging back because you're playing a slow lineup and you can't score. It just, it like, I'll be preaching at this all season until they finally start doing it. But this team has to lean into what they're good at and what they're good at is offense. Lean into that. If you score the basketball, you have a much better chance of getting stops. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. Uh, and that, And that's why like, when Frank is looking at the data and everyone's like, why is he still playing X, Y, Z when the defensive rating sucks? Frank will tell you, Oh, like our process is good. So we know that this number will eventually come down. And it's like, yeah, but Frank, is it going to come down? Is it going to come down if you're missing jump shots every time on the other end of the floor and your defense is never set? Because even if you believe in this concept as a defense, it only functions when everyone's in the right spot. And no one's in the right spot in transition. And everyone in the modern NBA is in transition on every missed shot. That's just how they, that's just how every offensive coach teaches push the ball, push the ball, push the ball. They're going to make you pay for that. Anyway, I'm done venting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess the last thing I kind of wrote down here is I think it's strange that our starting lineup is the one that has the least amount of spacing for our superstars. Right. And I think that's just a process issue that I'm, 
I'm kind of dealing with here. Like, if you look at it, like, our our second unit spacing isn't bad. Like, we went with Russ, Dwight, with, like, Mello, Monk, and I think, like, Ellington or someone else. Like, that's that's okay, but I feel like we're starting these games. The first quarter and the third quarters are, are really just killing us. Uh, we're down almost every time. Uh, our defense is okay, but I feel like teams start to run on us. And that's just a process thing that I think has to be fixed. I think AD at the five is definitely a start to that. And again, I've, I've gotten into AD and I, I don't want to be unfair to him because I feel like he's had a pretty good season throughout. It's just, I thought tonight uh, his body language wasn't great, but I mean, I thought throughout the season, you know, again, he's leading in points of the paint dunks and all that stuff with spacing. That's not conductive to him. Uh, but, but yeah, like, I feel like that's my biggest issue here is this, our starting lineup has the worst spacing of any of our lineups, which I think is an issue. Like, I think that's a, a fundamental problem that our superstars are not, in their right places and our starting lineup having a negative net rating through the season. And I think it's going to get worse <laughs> from tonight. Like that's, that's a problem that needs to be fixed. We're like what, 20 something games in now and our starting lineup doesn't have a positive net rating. Like I think that's, and again, a lot of that is with Deandre Jordan as well, but I think that's like the big issue that's, that surrounds all of this. Um, and we'll see uh, the season's not over. Obviously tonight was a pretty uh, hellscape type of game, but there's still a lot of games left. Uh, tomorrow's another game against OKC. We have some bad teams coming up, uh, so we'll see if they can rack up some wins. But I think until we change that, the process is kind of the process is all messed up. And maybe that's just how it's going to be until Trevor Reza, like I said, gets back. But I feel like him as our saving grace at 36 year old is so also yeah. it's, it's also unfair to him. Like again, I said last game uh, when Jason Tatum blew by Carmelo Anthony, Stan Van Gundy, he's like, "That's why you go get Trevor Reza." I'm like, "Well." Eh. That's why you get. That's why you go get 2009 Trevor Ariza. You know? <laughs> that's not why you go get you know 2021 Trevor Ariza. Uh, but but we'll see. I hope I hope it wasn't too crazy uh, event session tonight for everyone listening. Yeah, the Lakers have had plenty of opportunity to make excuses this season. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's you know the just the piling up of games over the last couple seasons because of COVID, or whether it's you know both Anthony Davis and LeBron nursing injuries over the summer or injuries derailing guys this season, we've had all sorts of excuses and now the excuses are kind of gone, you know, like Ariza is that last remaining excuse, Ariza, I guess, and Kendrick Nunn. And maybe just maybe all those excuses have, have allowed some of the players to avoid some personal accountability. And I'm hopeful that that, personal accountability starts to take shape eventually because, you know, Anthony Davis at a certain point has to start getting pissed off about the fact that he's not playing the way he's supposed to be playing, you know, and I'm LeBron and, and Russ are both fine, but same goes for these other guys on this team. Like at a certain point, at a certain point, like this team has to understand that they're not going to win on any consistent basis until they embrace the dirty work, you know, and, and, for all of these guys that have had offensive careers elsewhere. Yeah. Like, okay, Mello, you got to shoot a bunch of shots on a bad Portland team or Malik Monk. You got to shoot a bunch of shots on a bad Charlotte team, but on this team, we need you to do X, Y, Z better. You know what I mean? And like, and Malik's getting better, but like he missed a couple of big box outs again tonight. It's one of those things where it's just not good enough. What we're, it's just not good enough and it has to get better. And the only way for that to take place is personal accountability. And I think too many excuses have been made for this team. I'm sick of like Jeannie Busco and Jeannie Busco and like, well, I, I don't think it's fair to judge Frank until we have the full team. And it's like, um, 
actually, you're just making another excuse there. We have more than enough to be much, much better than we have been. I much I would have been I would have much rather had Jeannie just say, Yeah, things have been rough, but we expect Frank to get it together. Like mm-hmm. that 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 makes way more sense to me in in putting your support behind a coach than than making yet another excuse. I'm I'm sick of it. I'm just so sick of hearing about the injuries and, and hearing about all the the like can't blame lineups anymore. Frank only went with two bigs for a few minutes tonight at the start of the second half. Like we can't blame injuries anymore. We have the bodies. THT has been so good defensively on the wing that like, I can't even blame the lack of forwards anymore. Like THT is a defensive forward. He's proven that that's not why we lost tonight. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's frustrating, but I think we're going to go ahead and call it a night guys. Um, We uh, Raj, I believe is going up. I'm going to talk with him after the pot, but I have a Christmas party tomorrow, so I won't be missing the game, but I think Raj is going to do a post game space. Yeah, I will. Mm-hmm. And yep, and then um, and then obviously we'll have the uh, the Sunday game as well against Orlando. I, I think this would be a good one for a rewatch, Raj. So yeah. maybe maybe let's yeah let's dive into this one again uh, and watch it, and then uh, sometime this weekend we'll record a pod where we get a little bit uh, deeper yep. into it. But hopefully hopefully they avenge the two OKC losses tomorrow. <laughs> Go down 0-3 to OKC. That would be quite that'd be quite the season. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good rest of your night. This will be on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and on our podcast feed here in about a half hour. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.